with uh, Galatians chapter 3 tonight. I think we got down last week to about verse number 15, and that's where we'll start tonight. So we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so we're going to dive right into God's truth tonight and see what the Lord has there for us. How many believe God wants to speak to His people this evening? That when we come with hungry hearts and open minds ready to receive what the Lord has for us, He's ready, willing, and able to give us just what we need. And so that's what I'm praying for. I'm asking that you pray for the same thing. And if you hadn't begun praying for these services yet, would you please pray for your pastor now and pray that God would have his way and his will in everything that happens. In these 60 verses, that's what um, we find in Galatians chapter number 3 and chapter number 4. 60 verses. In these 60 verses, the Apostle Paul writes the strongest words that he's ever going to write. I mean, it is some powerful stuff. He lays it all out on the line, and he does it for good reason, because here Paul finds himself in a battle for the faith. He's doing everything he can to defend his belief, the truth, that the gift of salvation is received by grace through faith in Christ alone. How many of y'all believe that this evening, that the gift of salvation doesn't come through my goodness, but through the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not come through my righteousness, but through His righteousness. It does not come through what I have done, or will do, or what I haven't done, but it comes through what Jesus has done for me. Through His finished work, through His perfect life, His perfect death, or excuse me, His perfect birth, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and then His resurrection on that first Easter morning. It's through His finished work that we can be made right with God when we place faith in Him. And so Paul is defending his belief that the gift of salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. He believed a whole lot, whole lot like the old hymn song that we used to sing. Some of you pr probably remember it. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Does ever, anyone ever remember singing that? We used to sing that a whole lot. Man, I love that song. Let me read to you the first verse. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Somebody say amen. Well, listen to this next part. I love this. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On cross the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The Apostle Paul believed that. That is powerful um, truth that the, the writer wrote there. And that's exactly what Paul is preaching in the book of Galatians. He's preaching that his hope is founded upon nothing else but the finished work of Christ. By grace, through faith in Jesus, is how we're saved. That was his message then. It's still um, the message, the true message of the gospel today. Paul is in a battle. Now, for us to properly understand the truth that he gives in the book of Galatians, we need to answer two questions. First of all, we need to answer what he's battling and then who he is battling against. So what is he battling? Well, he's battling false doctrine. And that's exactly what was being preached and taught to these churches in the region of Galatia. Now, who was doing the preaching? Well, it was the Judaizers, these ones that had come into the church Paul said they crept in unaware and they did all they could to lead believers astray, to preach a false doctrine. And listen to me, he passionately and vehemently defends the faith and he gives some pretty strong words in Galatians chapter number 3 and chapter number 4. Now why is he so passionate about this and why should we be so passionate 
about defending the faith and preaching right doctrine because Paul realized what we need to realize. He realized that false doctrine leads people to have a false hope and a false security about their relationship with God. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. And let me tell you something, folks. I want you to get a hold of this. Don't, don't, if you don't get anything else, get this. This truth that we're studying that Paul wrote originally to the churches in Galatia is just as real and just as relevant in 2021 to Mount Zion Baptist Church as it was for those whom he originally wrote it to. Just as relevant for us tonight. You say, now brother, wait just a minute. You mean to tell me that um, there's that much problem with false doctrine being preached and taught today? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling you. As a matter of fact, let me give you some proof of that. And you just make your own judgment call. Just last week, a dear brother in Christ who's been faithful to our study of Galatians. He's been here every Wednesday night. I'm thankful for your faithfulness. Can I tell you that? I want you to know that I appreciate you being faithful to the study of God's Word. I'm thankful that you've made this a priority in your life. Thank you so much for seeing the importance of it. Well, this brother's been faithful. He's been here every Wednesday when we've been talking about the book of Galatians. Just last week, he sent me a picture of a church sign right here in Marion County. All right. Now, there's a lot of times that I'm blessed by church sign, but there's a lot of times I wish I could take a chain and tie it to the big truck that I'm driving at work and pull that road sign with me somewhere because it's completely and totally ridiculous, some of the things that are put on church signs. But let me give you something that was just put on a church sign right here in Marion County just a few weeks ago. Listen to what it says. It says this, labor to be accepted by God. You say, no, brother, what's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot wrong with it. See, when you, when you put stuff like that, especially on a church sign, which, gives, which has authority, all right? And, and, and that's certainly what people passing by are looking at and looking to. What you're really telling people is that if you do all you can do in your power and work as hard as you can work, that God will accept you into his kingdom. That's what you're telling folks when you put stuff like that. It's kind of like a, a Sunday school teacher that I had when I was a little boy. And I, don't, I, I love this lady and I'm thankful for her. I don't, I don't know what exactly she meant. I just know what she said. Uh, and I'm not trying to just completely be negative on everything. But she, but she said something that I'll never forget when I was a little boy. She said, good little boys go to heaven and bad little boys go to hell. I'll never forget that. I was about eight years old. That stuck with me. What's wrong with this kind of, that, that is teaching people that it's by what you do, you can make yourselves right with God, or by what you don't do. And that gives people a false hope and a false security about their relationship with God. See, the truth is, I don't care how hard you work, how much you labor, you're never going to meet God's standard in your own power. I don't care how much you do or how much I do, how many good things I do or quote unquote good things. I want you to understand God's standard is perfection and we're never going to work hard. We're never going to be able to work hard enough in our power to be perfect. 
God's standard is holiness. We're never going to be able in our own power to achieve perfect holiness. God's standard is perfect righteousness. That's doing everything exactly perfect at all times according to God's truth. We're never in our fallen state in this sinful world going to be able in our own power to make ourselves perfectly righteous before God. So to say that we can labor and be accepted of God is the same thing the Judaizers were saying all the way back in Paul's day. Yeah, you can believe on Jesus, but to really be children of God, to really be accepted of God, what they were saying is that you've got to keep the Old Testament law. You've got to add to faith in Christ to really be right with God. That's a very dangerous thing. Let me tell you something. Hear me when I say this. There's going to be people in hell that were great moral people. There's going to be people in hell that came to church every Sunday. There's going to be people in hell that preached sermons, pastored churches, taught Sunday school classes, sang the songs, prayed prayers, read their Bible. There's going to be people in hell that did a whole lot of good things. But what they did not realize is the good things they do, do not, does not make them children of God. What they didn't realize is they can't do enough good things. That's why we need grace. That's why we need mercy. That's why we needed a Savior. And that's why God sent us one in the person of His Son. That's what people are not getting. Evidently, whoever put this on this church sign didn't get it. See, the truth is, folks, we need Jesus. I, I say we because I'm putting myself, I need him. Listen, I need him just as much today as the day he saved me. We need Jesus. We can't be right with God in our own power doing our own good works. We just can't do it. See, there's all that list that I just gave you, all those good, those are not necessarily bad things. Matter of fact, they're all good things. But good things you do does not make you right with God. You must trust in the finished work of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone with nothing else. My hope is built on nothing less and nothing more than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. When I stand before God one day, the only right answer I could give for why he should let me into his kingdom is that I've trusted in the finished work of Jesus. I'm not trusting in who I am, but who he is. I'm not trusting in what I've done, but what he's done on my behalf. I'm not trusting in my goodness, but his goodness. I'm not trusting in my righteousness, but his righteousness that was freely given to me when I placed faith in him. That's the only right answer. He said, brother, how do you know that all these people that are in church and preach sermons and sing songs and pray prayers and do all these good things are things that uh, we, we, um, we consider to be good things, then, then, then why, um, how are these people going to be in hell? Well, how do you know that? Well, that's what Jesus said. Take your Bibles. Let me read, read to you something in Matthew chapter number 7. 
Matthew chapter 7. And let's look down at verse number 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now to prophesy means to speak the word of God. See, I think he's talking about preachers there. Pastors standing in pulpits. He said, have we not prophesied in thy name? He says something else. And in thy name have we not cast out devils? Well, that's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? If people cast out devils. How many of you know when devils are cast out, they're not cast out by the power of a person, but in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has power over demonic spirits, even speaking his name. And so according to what Jesus is saying, there'll be people who are not saved, who are not children of God, who cast out demonic spirits by the name of Jesus because his name has that much power. Are you getting me? They'll preach sermons, they'll cast out demons, watch what else. And in thy name do many wonderful works. They'll feed hungry people and care for the needy and they'll do all of these things that we think sometimes can make us right with God when none of it can. Nothing wrong with doing good works, but good works do not save you. Again, good works are not the reason for salvation, but the result of salvation. And so this is relevant truth for us. We're still battling against the same false teaching that Paul was battling with all the way back then. Do you see the danger in it, though? You say, well, Russell, what's it mean there in verse 21? It says, he who does the will of my Father, that's who's going to be in heaven. What does it mean to do God's will? First and foremost, to do God's will means you trust in his Son. The Bible says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if it's not God's will that any should perish, but it is God's will that everybody has eternal life and repent and trust in Jesus, the will of the Father is for all of us to trust in His Son. That's first and foremost. And then by God's power working on you, working in you and working through you, you can glorify God with your good works, not to get you saved, but because you are saved. So, this is powerful truth that is relevant for the church today. Paul, like I said before, Perry Mason and Ben Matlock hadn't gotten anything, ain't got nothing on the Apostle Paul when it comes to defending his belief, proving his point, building his case, because that's what he does here in Galatians chapter 3. He uses three main arguments, and we've talked about two of them. We talked about the personal argument, and he asked them, how has the Holy Spirit done a work in your life? Was it by works of the law or by faith in Jesus that you received the Spirit? And then he talks about not only the personal argument, but the scriptural argument. We looked at that last week and how the scriptures declare that we are made right with God, not by keeping the law, but by trusting in who God is and what God said, just like Father Abraham did. Remember us talking about that last week? 
And then tonight I want us to see he uses the third argument, which is the function of the law. And that's what I really wanted to get to. Let's look here in, starting in verse number 15. There's four things that I want us to see that he lays out for us plainly. First of all, the law cannot change the promise that God has given. Now, when I'm talking about the promise here, I'm talking about the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, that through, the, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth was going to be blessed. Now let me ask you something, class. What does it mean when God told Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you? What's that? What, who's he talking about? What's he talking about? Jesus. See, it's through the lineage of Abraham that Jesus was born into this world as a man so that he might do for men what men can't do for themselves. Now, when you get to Galatians 3, 15 through verse number 18, you're going to see in just these uh, three or four verses here, the word promise is mentioned eight times. And so I think what the Bible is trying to share with us is that the law cannot change the promise. The promise was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. That is, was, fulfilled in Jesus. And the law cannot change that. Look what he says in verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or addeth thereto. Now really what... Um, he's saying here is if you've got an agreement or a contract between two men, physically speaking, and they make this contract, somebody else can't come along later and say, you know what, we're going to change the contract between the two men that previously made it. That ain't how contracts work, is it? I mean, if I've got a contract with Miss April and we, we make this contract up, I draw it up and she signs it and I sign it and we make this agreement, then years later somebody up, Joey can't come along years later and say that contract is, is null and void and it's no longer good enough. We've got to add to it. Why? Because that wasn't none of Joey's business. That's between me and April. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the same thing Paul is saying here about the law. He's saying the law does not need to be added to the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus because the law come much later than the promise that was made to Abraham. Amen? The covenant was between God and Abraham. God made the promise to Abraham. Moses didn't come for many, many years later, hundreds of years later. We'll see that in just a moment. Not only was the covenant between God and Abraham, but he also says here that this covenant was fulfilled in and through Jesus. Watch what it says there in verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, now who's the seed? Well, Paul tells us the seed is who? It's Christ. Jesus is the seed that was planted and died and rose again to new life. Can you say amen? He is the seed of Abraham that fulfilled the promise God made all the way back in Genesis 12, 3. So the law cannot change the promise first and foremost because the promise was made, the agreement was made, the covenant was made, but first of all between Abraham and God and then it was fulfilled through Jesus. The law has nothing to do with that. Amen? The law cannot change the promise. Verse 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God, before of God in Christ, it was confirmed 
with Abraham, and then listen to me, it was fulfilled in Christ. Now watch. The law which was 430 years after cannot disannual that which should make the promise of none effect. Again, the law can't come along years later just like my illustration with me in April. Joy, the law can't come along years April and change the agreement that we made. It was made to Abraham. Fulfilled in Jesus. The law cannot, will not change the promise. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Let me give you the second point. Not only can the law not change the promise, the law is not given, is not greater than the promise. The law does not outweigh the promise. Let's look at verses 18, 19, and 20. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. By promise. Not through keeping the law. Are you getting it? The law is not greater than the promise. Verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law is not greater than the promise. The law was given on a temporary basis until the seed got here. Are you getting it? That's what he's saying. Look at the rest of verse 19. And it was obtained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So what he's saying is, the law is not greater than the promise which came by faith, this promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. The law was just a temporary thing until Jesus came. The law cannot make the promise of none effect the law is not greater than the promise. Number three, the law is contrary to the promise. Let me tell you why. The law brings death. The promise brings life. I heard Dr. J. Vernon McGee speaking on the law just last week. The Lord bless my heart in that. If you ever get a chance to listen to Through the Bible Radio, Listen to it. I love that brother, man. You talking about a prophet. He was a prophet if there's ever been one. Dr. J. Vernon McGee had his Through the Bible radio series for many years. He died, I think, in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And you can still listen to his program on about any Christian station you want to listen to. And that brother was speaking truth then that we certainly need today. He's talking about the law just last week, and he said he was preaching revival services down in Tennessee once upon a time. This lady came to him after the service, and she said, Pastor, I think the most beautiful thing in Scripture is the law that God has given. He said, Sister, if you think the law is beautiful, you don't know much about the law. And he's right. The law does not show us beauty. The law shows us the ugliest parts of ourselves. The law does not bring life. The law brings death. Let me prove it to you. Paul proves it to us. Look what he says there in verse number 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, if there was a law given which would have given life, verily righteousness should have come by the law. Then listen, if the law could have given the life that we all needed, There'd been no need for Jesus to come in the first place. We could have just kept the old covenant. 
If all it was was if, if having life and being right with God was us keeping the law the best we could, then guess what? Jesus never had to come. They were doing that when he got here. That's what he's saying. But the law did not bring life. The law brought death from the very beginning. Look at the picture you see in Scripture when the law was given, Exodus 19. I'm not going to flip over there. I'm going to ask you this week to look at it in your quiet time. Exodus 19, you're going to find when Moses and the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they were going through the wilderness, God brought them to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the place where the law was given, the Ten Commandments. Before Moses got to Mount Sinai, and before God came down on the mountain to give Moses the law, God spoke to Moses and he said, You make sure all the people know that man nor beast cannot come close to the mountain. Make sure they don't touch the mountain because the moment they touch the mountain, they're going to die. And then the Bible says that when God descended there upon Mount Sinai and met with Moses and gave the Ten Commandments, that the mountain was all together on a smoke. There was lightnings and thunderings. Can you imagine the scene of the lightning striking and the thunder rolling and the sm mountain smoking on the top? And God again told Moses, make sure you tell the people, even the priest, they can't come close to the mountain. Because if they do, they're going to die. Now, I've got some fantastic news for you. The Bible says, now in Christ, we have not come to Mount Sinai, but we have come to Mount Zion. That ought to mean something to you. Whoever the brothers was that named this church, knew about the truth of the word of God. I don't want, an, I don't want my church name Mount Sinai. That's the place of death. That shows you how dead we are. We're going to see it in a minute. <laughs> I want to come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place of life. Mount Zion is where we can commune and fellowship with God. Now, in Christ, we have not come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. We've not come to the place of death. We've came to the place of life. That's why Paul says, don't go back and try to put yourself under the old covenant, under the old law. That was death to you. Now you've got life in Jesus. Are you getting this tonight? And so the law is contrary to the promise. The law brought death. The promise was the promise of life that was fulfilled in Jesus. The law was given so that our sin might be revealed. Look at the first part of, of verse 19. Wherefore men serveth the law, it was added because of what? Why was the law given? Because of sin. Look at verse 22. He makes it even more plain. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus might be given to them that believe. What does the scripture tell us? We are all sinners. Why? Why are we all sinners? 
We're sitting in the garden, but what have we, do, what have we done ourselves? What have, what have I done? What have you done? We've broken God's law. Right? The law shows us our transgressions. It was given because of transgressions. Do you see that in verse 22? It reveals to us our sinfulness. The law was given not only to reveal our sinfulness, but listen, to prepare the way for Jesus himself. Look at verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. Everybody see that? Verse number 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Let me tell you what he's saying. The law was our teacher. Now, what does a teacher do? We've got a teacher here with us tonight. Miss Reed teaches eighth grade science. Now, Miss Reed teaches to those eighth graders what they need to know about science, right? So if the law is the teacher that brought us unto Jesus, what does the law teach us? If it's our schoolmaster that brings us unto Christ, it teaches us how much we need a Savior. The law was not to bring life or reveal life. The law was to reveal spiritual death. I had a dear pastor friend years ago, an older pastor who came to me right after I was called to preach. He said he, he came to, to a service that I'd been uh, I had preached that, and I don't know if you even call it preaching. I, I, like I said before, it was one of my first sermons, and most of that was just crying, and I about read two scriptures, and then pretty much after about 10 minutes, I sat down. But after that service, he came to me one night, and he said, let me tell you something, son, before you're ever going to get anybody saved, you got to get them lost. That is so true. Before anybody is going to get saved, they have to see their need for a Savior. Before anybody can have eternal life, they have to understand how spiritually dead they are. Before anybody can be brought into the light, the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus, they've got to realize they're in the dark. What does the law do? It teaches us how in the dark we are. I look at the law and it says, thou shalt not lie. I've blown that one. I look a little further down and it says, thou shalt not steal. I've blown that one. I look a little further or a little up and it says, honor thy father and thy mother. I've blown that one. I look on down, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. I've blown that one. You say, oh, no, wait a minute, brother. You mean you've blown that one? No. Yeah, I have. Because God's standard is so high. See, Jesus said that if we even look upon a woman as a man, if I look upon a woman with lust in my heart, it's just like doing what? 
Committing adultery. That's God's standard of holiness. Who can keep that? Ladies, if you look at a man with lust in your heart, that's just like committing the act of adultery. That's what Jesus is saying. Then you look a bit further down in the law and it says, Thou shalt not kill. You shall not murder. Well, I've blown that one. Because then the Bible says in 1 John 3, 15, that if I harbor hatred in my heart towards someone else, it's just like committing murder. God's standard of holiness is so high that he sees lust as adultery and hatred as murder. Do you see how in the dark we are without Christ? I don't care how many times you come to church, it don't fix that. I don't care how many times you go through a baptistry, it don't fix that. I don't care how many times you preach the sermon, it does not fix that. Let me tell you what will fix that. Repenting, turning from your sin, and turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need you. I trust you. I see I can't do it. And the Bible says, Jesus said, if any man come unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. I'm going to say that again because you must have missed it. If any man come unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Oh, but listen to John 3.17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but through, the, but through him the world might be saved. I will in no wise cast you out. I don't care who you are, what you've done. Listen, where you been? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. We're in the dark. We need the light of Jesus. That is what the law teaches us. Sister, just like you teaching them young'uns in science class, what science means and what science does, the law teaches us who we are and how much we need Jesus. That's what he's saying. It reveals to us our sinfulness. It paves the way for Jesus. Let's us know how much we need him. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be what? See, because when I really get a hold of the truth of the law and I see that I am a wretched, lost, hopeless, helpless sinner. See, when, the, when that old good old song, that amazing grace song that talks about saved a wretch like me, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts your heart and you begin seeing how lost you are, you see just how wretched you are. And you know what you got you know what that, that then leads to? I can't do this. If you're in that position, praise the mighty name of Jesus. You say, Brother, I don't feel like that, that's a good thing. I feel really bad. Let me tell you something. You got to feel bad before you feel good. I remember when God made me feel bad. I'm telling you, I thought I was going crazy. I'm not an axe murderer. You know, I kept thinking that. Am I really that bad of a guy? I mean, I, I, I've never murdered anyone. I've, I've never robbed a bank. I mean, I'm not, I'm, not as I'm not as bad as the ones who've done this and this and that over there. And the Holy Spirit just kept showing me money for Jesus. And I thought, man, I'm hopeless. Praise God he showed me that. For if I don't see my lostness, 
I can't see my need for a Savior. So if you're there tonight, oh, listen, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. God's got you right where He wants you. If God's revealed that to you, today's the day of salvation. Come clean with Him. Quit playing games. Quit trying to do it yourself. It's already been done in Christ. It brings us to faith in Jesus. Everybody seeing this? The law prepares the way for Jesus. Last, the law cannot do what the promise can do. How do we know it? Well, look. Verse 25, but after the, that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Praise the Lord. I'm no longer under the law. Praise Jesus. If you know a little bit about the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the Levitical law, you ought to be glad of that. I'm no longer under that stuff. I mean, those people had a miserable existence trying to keep all that. Telling you, there wasn't no bacon. Pork chops, gone. That's out. And that's just some of the minor things. I mean, there was even stuff in there about how you cut your hair. Clothes you wear. Go back and look for yourself. It's all in there. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm no longer under that schoolmaster. And you're not either. If you're in Jesus, watch. We're no longer under a schoolmaster, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ. How are we made children of God? So according to the brother's sign that put it on the church, labor to be accepted of God, how does that fit with verse 26? It doesn't, does it? Can't work. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus. Watch. For as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. You've put on Christ. Just like you put on a new suit of clothes. You've put on Jesus. And the truth is, as a believer, I think a lot of what he's saying here, one of the first things that people recognize about you is what you've put on. Am I right? If we have put on Jesus, that ought to be the first thing, one of the first things that people recognize about us. I was talking to a young man that I just met a few days ago, well, a few weeks ago now. And he didn't know that I was a pastor. And for the first three or four days there, he was talking pretty much like a lost man talks. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't want to 
break out my Bible and use it as a battering ram or a club and beat him over the head while how he should be talking better. You know, that ain't the way things work. You know that's how, not how we're supposed to do things. Right. You know what I tried to do? Respect him. Love him. Talk with him and laugh with him as much as I could till I couldn't laugh. Had to do some of that too. You know, you got to make a stand for holiness too. There were some things I couldn't go with him on, but I, I'd let him talk and I'd talk with him and I tried to befriend him and respect him and show him love is what I tried to do. A few days later, he came back and he said, uh, he said, man, do you go to church? And I said, yeah, I do. I, I go to uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church. He said, well, I kind of thought you might go to church. He said, who's your pastor at Mount Zion? And I said, well, I'm the pastor at Mount Zion. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, oh my God, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you know what's amazing to me? This is truly, you know that there are lost people who do not claim the name of Jesus whatsoever, just doing what lost people do, that respect men of God much more than people who claim the name of Christ. He did. I could really tell. This young man was really sorry for some of the things he had said. And I looked at him and I said, look, man, I'm not here to preach at you. I'm not. Matter of fact, I think the world of you. I think we can be really good friends. I want you to know you don't have to worry about what you say around me because I'm not the one who counts. I'm not the one who's always listening. And he just started smiling real big and he said, I know what you're talking about. And I said, well, then we're on the same page. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am so thankful. So thankful. God has made a difference in my life. Because used to, I would have been the one talking the way that young man was talking about the things he was talking about. And you know what I believe? If God can change me, he can change him. Don't you? So it's not folks by being some legalistic checking off the boxes as you do what you consider right and checking off the boxes about the things you don't do that makes you right with God it's about faith in Jesus that changes that gives you a new nature that changes your desire that ultimately changes your direction are you getting me? Faith in Christ putting on Jesus so that people might see a difference in you. He ought to be recognizable in your life if you put on Jesus is what I'm saying. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. I, I told you that the law 
cannot do what the promise has done. The law couldn't save the Greek because the Greek was not under the law. The Jew was under the law. The Jew was given the law. It didn't come to the Greek. Are you hearing me? The prophets did not come to the Gentiles. They came to the Jews. The law could not save the Greek. The law could not save the Gentile. The law could not do what the promise has done in Christ. For Jesus paid the sin debt for Jews, Greeks, and all Gentiles. Are you getting that? Neither is there any bond or free. <laughs> Neither is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something that I love about the gospel. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You are just as important to the body of Christ as anybody you name. You know that? You may tell you why? Because you are a living stone that God has put in his building. You're just as important as Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you know that? To God you are. Yeah, no, God blesses great men of God like that and great women of God with, with great ministries, and that's fantastic. But you know you've got a ministry too. You know God wants to use you too. And do you know all God requires of you of, is you being faithful to the ministry he's given you? Amen? That's all God's required of me, that I be faithful to what he's given me. And he says that if you're faithful in the little things, I'll give you more things. But you got to start with the little things. Start where you are because you are important to the family of God. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Father Abraham. That promise was fulfilled. In the seed, the person of Jesus when he came to do for us what we couldn't do. Do you see the argument that Paul has made? The personal argument, the scriptural argument, but also the function of the law, how it points us to Christ. This is his message, and it's got to be our message. Anybody got anything, comments or questions?